Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Welcome to Healing with Dr. George, the power of Chicano Latinx art. This is a podcast that explores the themes of self and community healing, whether as an artist, curator, collector, or admirer. I am your host, Dr. George Jesus Mesa, a Chicano clinical psychologist with a passion for promoting and preserving Chicano Latinx art. I'm working in conjunction with our partners at www.latinoarte.com, an online marketplace that showcases and promotes the work of Chicano Latinx artists throughout the United States. Our guests for the podcast will include celebrated artists, collectors, curators, and influencers who will share their experiences and perspectives on Chicano Latinx art as we explore the themes of self and community healing through Chicano Latinx art. Tony Ortega holds a Master of Arts in Drawing and Painting from the University of Colorado and is currently a professor for Regis University in Denver, Colorado. Tony has been a professor of art for the past 19 years and a professional artist for 39 years. Tony's lifelong goal is to contribute to a better understanding of cultural diversity by addressing the culture, history, and experiences of Chicanos and Latinos through his art. In 1998, he was given the Mayor's Award for Excellence in the Arts. In 1999, he was a recipient of the Governor's Award for Excellence in Art. In 2018, he was acknowledged as the Faculty Lecturer of the Year at Regis University. His art can be found in museums such as the Denver Art Museum, the Los Angeles County Museum of Art, and the Blanton Museum of Art. He has exhibited extensively in the Southwestern United States, Latin America, and other parts of the world. Welcome to our esteemed guest, Tony Ortega, MFA, a stellar artist from Colorado, Denver, Colorado. Today, we are going to be talking about the origins of Chicano art in Colorado, and we will also be talking about Tony's career as an artist in Colorado. So, Tony, welcome. Can you tell us about the origins of Chicano art in Colorado? BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Um, yeah, from from my research and my memory and from reading, basically it's within the within the context of what was going on nationally with the civil rights movement of Martin Luther King, uh, Cesar Chavez and his forming of the United Farm Workers, the Poor People's Campaign in Washington, D.C., the Vietnam War, and then eventually the anti-Vietnam War movement were happening. So we were tied into what was happening nationally. But locally, what what was first the impetus or what first started uh, sort of organizing youth and, and the Chicano community was the Crusade for Justice that was led locally by the Rodolfo Corky Gonzalez they were looking for better educational opportunities, more diverse jobs, better pay, but as well as, you know, listening to uh, Cesar Chavez and a variety of boycotts that were organized. That kind of gives you a little bit of context of what was going on here in, in Colorado. What were some of the key pivotal events that kind of defined the development of Chicano art in, in Denver? Um, well, probably going back to the Crusade for Justice, they were supportive in, they had a bookstore, they had the first Chicano art gallery, which was called El Grito de Atzlan, that was organized and started by Carlos Santisteban. They also had um, folklorico groups that danced, they, have a, they had a teatro. So that was probably the first um, organization or the first Centro Cultural and then soon after that was the development of the CHOC, the Chicano Humanities and Arts Council, which was formed in the late 70s, and Su Teatro, which was formed off the Ruria campus here in, in, in Denver, which was part of uh, CU, CU Denver and um, Metro State College. And um, what is the status of Chicano art in Colorado today? Well, uh, Su Teatro is very active. They have plays throughout the throughout the year. They have concerts in the summer. They also have uh, a film series, a Chicano film series. The Chicano Humanities and Arts Council still continues after more than 30 years. It's over in in, um, in Lakewood now. It's no longer in Denver. We also have a, El Museo de las Americas. And then we have a variety of folklorico groups and danzantes, Aztec dance groups. So that's, um, and then a very active Chicano artist, uh, so we're probably on to our third generation of Chicano artists who are active making their art. Uh, what do you see as some of the challenges faced by the Chicano Latino artists in Colorado today? Well, I, I think probably the biggest challenge is, is funding for the arts, funding for artists. It's always an ongoing struggle. I think it's even um, more acute now because um, because. Life is more expensive in order to buy a home or to rent a studio or rent an apartment. It's just more expensive. So there's that 
there's a bigger gap between money, the money that artists can acquire, organizations can acquire, and what it takes to maintain oneself or our group here in the Denver, Colorado area. And, and who are some of the prominent artists in uh, Denver today? Well, probably some of the early ones were like uh, the muralist Emmanuel Martinez, who started working with the Crusade, uh, sculptor Carlos Santesteban, who was also a Santero, a painter and muralist Carlote Espinosa, muralist Roberto Lucero, and the graphic artists such as Lorenzo Ramirez, Al Cardenas, and then photojournalist Juan Espinosa were probably the early artists, photographers who uh, were part of the part of the movement. But now we probably have well over, at least part of Chalk, we have well over 60 members who are actively making their art or writing or doing storytelling, et cetera. Amazing. What, um, where, where did you come into the picture as an artist? Um, well, my, my family is originally from New Mexico. And um, my mom moved up here to Denver when I was very young. And my grandmother also helped raise me, but my grandmother was always in the family, was the storyteller. She was also the seamstress. She made quilts. She did crocheting. She did sewing. So basically, I was always hanging out underneath the the sewing machine cabinet. So it was through her that I started working with my hands, started making drawings, uh, started sewing, etc. But later on, I was able to, I met some of the, some early Chicano artists such as Ramon Kelly, Ernie Gallegos. They were painting more in a Southwest motif, but I was working as um, basically their gardener, house painter, <laughs> variety sort of odd and end jobs when I was in middle school and high school. So um, my first look at Chicano art was probably through them looking at Chicanos making Southwest art. And then I went to see Boulder and I started taking, I became a member of UMAS, started taking Chicano study courses. And then I also studied in Jalapa, Veracruz, for a semester where I became more bilingual, or at least I'm speaking uh, bilingual. Also, um, at CU Boulder, I took a couple of of, um, Chicano art classes. One was a Chicano literature course and a ballet folklorico course. While I was in Mexico, when I was studying in Jalapa, we were able to see many of the murals of Los Tres Grandes, Rivera, Orozco, and Siqueiros. Um, And then once I finished my degree at CU Boulder, I went to... um, Rocky Mountain School of Art, where I started taking um, art classes. I eventually became a member of the Chicano Humanities and Arts Council and started showing my work with uh, with fellow artists here in Denver. What were some of your early challenges as a Chicano artist in Denver? Um, probably some of my early challenges were were obviously um, was, was was funding. Was obviously being able to make a living while I was making my art finding places to show my work, um, obviously funding for purchasing materials. I worked part-time as a um, as a waiter at that time. And then eventually I started doing uh, some workshops. I became a member of the Art Students League of Denver. Um, but the, probably the earliest challenges were just trying to find venues and places to show my work and then eventually um, find patrons that would, would buy my work, or support my work. I, I, I remember finding um, Luis Arbaca, who was a local restaurant owner here, who uh, who helped a lot of Chicano artists start. He started collecting my work. He started introducing me to to other collectors and other other patrons here in the Denver area. 
How did living in Mexico affect your vision as an artist and your work as an artist? Um, well, I think it was uh, the program there in Jalapa, Veracruz, in the, at the Universidad de Veracruz, was started because of the Chicano movement. And they were trying to get many of us, and they did many of us, to go to Mexico to learn about our culture, our history, our traditions. And we did learn that, but I think what it also informed us or how it informed us was it showed us how much, how American we really are. And it also showed showed the strength of our our, our our biculturalness and our bilingualness. Can you describe your artistic style? Um, Probably my early style or my prominent style is what I call um, their expressionistic uh, paintings and drawings. I feel like I draw from from the heart rather draw for than drawing for the mind or the eye. Um, my color is very bold, very saturated. The mark making, I like showing the brush strokes or the mark making. Um, sort of the subject of the work or the early work is what I call genre scenes or everyday life. They depicted um, the, the neighborhood, the, the community, the students, the, the, the family, etc. And so I would basically I would go out and photograph in the community, photograph down in New Mexico, bring some photographs from Mexico go to California, go to Texas, and bring that bring that information back to my studio and then use the photograph as a point of departure. But I was always looking for the collective. I was always looking for the, the gathering of community in making those early images. And then my work has evolved, especially once I started becoming, once I became a professor at, the, at Regis University, and I was allowed me to experiment with some, some, of the, some digital art forms so I started working with um, with Adobe Photoshop, and I started appropriating images and bringing images together, bringing images from Mexican Chicano culture and mixing them with American and Western culture and making these hybrid images. So my most recent printmaking deal with sort of this hybrid images of mixing those two. Uh, after going through your website, I saw that uh, you you tend to blend in the image of the Virgen de Guadalupe into some of your works. Can you tell us about that? Uh, yeah, I, I, the Our Lady Guadalupe Church was very important to my family and to me when I was young. It was sort of the the center of of the north side. Uh, it was very active during the Chicano movement. It was also very active religiously, in that it was a place where obviously we went to to mass where we went to um, for communion, uh, confession, uh, the, the variety of sort of festivals that they would have. Um, so she, she our, the Virgen of Guadalupe is a religious figure, but I, I also see her as a political figure. She was represented with by the United Farm Workers. She was represented during the Mexican Revolution on the side of the, um, the people who were against Porfirio Diaz. She was on the side of the of, of the Mexicanos against the against Spain, and then she's also very much a commercial image in which you see her on on t shirts, on hats, on um, light switch covers, you name it. So she's sort of the symbol of 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 commerce, religion, and politics. So I play with that image. I one of my best known images is when I combine Our Lady Guadalupe with the Statue of Liberty, and then I have a series of people marching, marching for um, a May 1st date back in 2006, I believe. 
Um, and then I also mix Our Lady Guadalupe with um, uh, with Leonardo da Vinci's um, Mona Lisa. I've mixed her with um, with the Scream very recently with Edvard Munch's The Scream, in in sort of in protest to the um, the caging of kids at the border. So I, I've used her as a symbol to talk about bilingualness, biculturalness, and also to make political and cultural statements. I've also noticed that you take popular iconography, such as a Campbell's soup can and Superman into, into your work. Can you tell us about the use of, 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 of uh, contemporary icons into your iconic imagery into your work? Yeah, I, I've made Superman into super hombre, which would be the translation in Spanish. But what I've done is I've made him a, a brown superhero with the bigote. He instead of having the red, white, and blue on his on his suit, his leotard, I, I made it the Mexican colors of the flag. And then instead of leaping over um, a skyscraper, he's leaping over the El Pirámide de los Nichos in Veracruz. So I've made. So my guess, I'm questioning: Does Superman have to be white? Does he have to be American? Does he have to represent the United States? And I'm saying. Why can't a Chicano or a brown person be be Superman or Super Hombre? What, what about the and, incorporation of the Campbell soup can into some of your art? Well, Warhol and pop art is what gives us permission to appropriate images and to recontextualize them. So Warhol's famous for taking the Sambles, uh, Sambles cover, soup can, and making it iconic, making it an art piece. So I've just appropriated Andy Warhol's image and then in, and put it and put in pozole and menudo, which are popular stews or soups within Chicano Mexican um, culture. I grew up eating uh, pozole. My grandmother used to always make pozole with with pork and some New Mexico green chili and some onions and radishes, etc. So I thought it'd be kind of a, a way of using humor to bring in the viewer to look at my work, to look at a little more deeply that the, our culture or the mixing of cultures, even deeper than we realize, there's this sense of the mixing of Spanish and indigenous, the mixing of Mexican and American, and the, the mixing of of popular American culture with, with popular Chicano culture. So there's a bunch of overlapping or juxtaposing or, or recontextualizing. Tony, can you tell us about your mural work? I've noticed uh, after going through your webpage that you're very active in doing a number of murals throughout uh, the state of Colorado. Tell us about that. Yeah, I've created um, probably well over 80 community murals in the last 20 to 25 years. I work a lot with schools, local schools, elementary, middle, and high school, but I also have done some murals at, um, at clinics and art centers and they're, they're always collaborative pieces in which I have students or patients or people from the community who come and help and paint. So I've, I've devised a way of working with, with people who may not have experience with painting. So we'll do like a dark undercolor. On top of that, we'll build another color, a lighter, lighter color, which I call dry brush, which still shows some of the darker color coming, peeking through the mark making. And then I add some pointillism. So I have um, these students or these participants, volunteers help me paint in this whole series. So even though it's my composition and my use of of um, of color, it's it's the community that's helping me create the murals. And the murals are a, vari- are 
about a variety of things. Sometimes it's as simple as about place, the location of the of the um, organization or school. Sometimes it's a little bit about the history. Some of the clinics in, in Northern Colorado worked with migrant farm workers. So we use that history of them going out into the fields and helping migrant farm workers with health concerns. Uh, also, it, it could be about activities that are going on in school. The most recent one that I finished was um, was at North High School, and they wanted me to do a mural with the kids about the arts from North High School. So there's a ceramicist, a painter, actors, musicians, um, uh, singers in the mural. I also worked on the Rudolfo Corky Gonzalez Library mural. And since he was a prominent leader um, during the early part of the civil rights movement, I've incorporated different activities that were going on during the civil rights movement in that mural. But some murals are are just about, I did one out in, in Eastern Colorado where they have a lot of farms and ranches. So we incorporated those kinds of images. So I just, I like working with the students, the teachers, the staff and developing the theme or the idea behind them, but I also work with them in painting the murals. I've noticed that you work in printmaking, you work in uh, making murals, you do paintings. What is your preferred medium of expression? Um, I don't know if I really have a preferred medium. I, I would say in my early part of my career were my pastels, and then it evolved into my printmaking, and it evolved into my acrylic painting, and then my murals. But um, I've been a professor at Regis University for almost 20 years now. And what that enabled me to do was to not depend as much on the, on the market, on the, on the commercial market, in order to make a living. And I was able to obviously live off the, um, the income, my income from being a professor. But it allowed me to, to experiment, to try different things. That's why I was talking about the hybrid images that I recently have done. So I've taken workshops. I learned Photoshop. Um, I've done more reading since I, I also teach for our core curriculum at Regis. I teach a class called the Chicanismo, Chicanarte. We look at the Chicano movement and how that informed artists from that time period on their work. I also teach another one called the New Mexico Santo tradition. So we look at the religious images from New Mexico and we look at their, the history of New Mexico, the, the mixing of the people, how they use land, land grants. It's similar to Mexico and its differences to Mexico. And then also how that relates to, to religion and also how that's changed, how originally that the, the people that supported those, the, the making of the Santos were churches, moradas, um, communities, but now it's tourists. So how that's changed. And I use those two courses to contribute to our core curriculum, core curriculum at Regis but it also has informed me as an artist, but also am able to educate young Chicano Latino students about their own culture and their own art. What do you think are some of the challenges being faced by young Chicano artists today? Well, I think going back to, to funding, it goes back to uh, sufficient studio spaces or um, inexpensive studio spaces, places that obviously you can you can work and store your work, stay warm. Um, also having patrons who will who will buy your work, who also, you know, gallery owners and directors who will show your work. Um, sometimes it's challenging for for Chicanos and other people of color because of the themes that we use. 
we 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 talk about history we talk we make social statements we make political statements sometimes that those aren't always the things that commercial uh, galleries are looking for so and then obviously fi- finding support from um, nonprofit art centers and organizations who become aware of who our who our young um, latino chicano artists are um I, as a professor, I try to get them connected to um, to the community, to the art community, the Chicano community, art community. So that's I see that as part of my role. But we have other artists such as Carlos Frescas, who works at Metro, Quentin Gonzalez, who works at University of Colorado at Denver, and then George Rivera, who worked at the University of Colorado Boulder. So having people in those kinds of places who are mentors, uh, those professors, when I was a young uh, young college students, I had um, Professor Rodolfo Garcia, Professor George Rivera, uh, Lillian Robinson, Lillian Fernandez the Robinson was also a professor. So having those mentors in, in those kinds of positions, I think is important for young artists. So hopefully um, we'll continue that that tradition, not just as in college, but also in high school and junior highs and in elementary schools, working as mentors and, and people who can model for our young students. You have been a professional artist for approximately 40 years. What is your dream project? My dream project? What would you love to do? If we could say you have an unlimited amount of funds, Tony Ortega, what would you, what would your dream project be? I guess, um, well, hopefully I can fulfill it, but you know, I guess um, I'm getting closer to retirement and I'm hoping to, to leave my college teaching behind me and just, just focus on totally on my art making, whether it's whether I'm making pastels or, or printmaking or continue with the murals, but just just have the focus on my own work now towards the end of my artistic career. Of the murals that you've done all throughout Colorado, is there one that particularly you're particularly fond of or speaks to you? Um, yeah, I have a couple. Um, I did one at this um, local Catholic school called the Escuela Guadalupe. And I did that in conjunction with my um, Regis course, the Chicanismo Chicanarte course. And so there I worked with um, fifth and sixth graders at the Escuela Guadalupe with my college students. And we did a mural about about the history of Mexico and, and the Southwest and uh, what was fun about that was these young little kids, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, were learning similar things to my Chicanismo kids in college. And sort of that interaction of 12-year-olds with 18 to 20-year-olds and then making that mural. And then eventually that mural was published in a book that was um, was published by the Denver Art Museum that that mural is sort of a highlight, I guess, because n- not just the theme, but also because of the collaborative work of younger kids with older kids. And really, when you think about it, there's only six to eight years difference, but but it is a big difference. And then my my second most favorite mural is a recent one that I did with um, CEC, which is the Center for Education here in Denver. And I also worked with Nine Dot Arts. And there's a park here in, in on the north side, and it was called the Columbus Park for, for many years because this used to be an Italian-American community. But Chicanos and indigenous people haven't always, we have not liked the naming of, of, of places or, or things after Christopher Columbus. So, so for many years, there's been this uh, community move to try to 
rename the, the park, the People's Park, La, La, La Raza Park. And I did a mural in commemoration of the naming of that park, changing it from Columbus Park to La Raza Park. So those are two murals that I probably would, would highlight or I think the most about or more impactful or meaningful to me. How do you see Chicano art as contributing to the healing of the Chicano community? Well, I think Chicano art, Chicano artists are reflection or mirror of, of how the Chicano community thinks, how they see themselves. Uh, we can, they can identify with it. They can see their culture, their traditions. They can see themselves in it. So I think that's how it contributes. It becomes a voice. Sometimes it's a visual voice. Sometimes it's a musical voice. Sometimes it's a written voice. Um, so it's it's a way of reflecting who we are. What are some of the challenges specific to Chicano artists in Denver? Uh, the specific, I would say, um, well, Denver's become very popular. It's one of the fastest growing metropolis metropolises in uh, in the United States. It's also become very popular because of. Um, of uh, marijuana is legal here. The dispensaries, a lot of people are moving here uh, because it's it's just a beautiful state. There's people are interested in recreation, interested in the mountains and skiing, and because of that, it's pushed the prices of housing up, rent, um, studio rent, mortgages. Um, people have to if they want to have a connection to to Denver, they have to either make more or they have to live a little farther away in farther communities with so the commute is longer. So again, it has to do with um, funding, financial backing, and then just the, and the growth it's to me, it's exponential. And then all of a sudden there's this density in Denver that makes it more difficult for, for commuting. So um, it's, it's just growth. It's economic growth. It's uh, population growth. that makes it more challenging for artists and for the, for, for the whole Chicano community. It's displaced us through gen, gen, gentrification. As a Chicano artist, you have really made your mark. Um, how would you like to be remembered by future generations as an artist, Tony? Um, I guess I would like to be remembered as, a, as an active artist within, within the community, an active artist in, during my time, that somehow my, my work reflected my time and my place in the in the community here. So just 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 another voice within the Chicano community. What are some of the current projects you're working on? Well, like I mentioned earlier, I finished a mural at North High School. Um, I'm on summer break from Regis, so I'm uh, I'm creating a new body of work for a show that I'm having here in Denver at the William Havu Gallery in December. So I've been doing some mixed media prints. I've been I'm doing some new pastels, and then I've been laying some collage background for some of my paintings. So I'm working a lot here in the studio for that exhibit coming up in December. Interesting. And your wife is also a very notable artist uh, artist as well. Can you tell us a little bit about her work? Uh, yes. Um, her and I met um, right after I finished art school at the Chicano, Chicano Humanities and Arts Council. She was working part-time there, and I had a small studio space there. I was paying like 60 bucks a month, basically for a room. And she was the like administrative assistant. And we, we were friends at first, and then we started to date. And then eventually we got married and had a, had a son and 
live together. But her background actually comes is in modern dance. She took modern dance here in, in Denver. But she was always interested in, in other art forms. She's also played the guitar and drums and sang. Uh, once her and I got together, she became more interested in, in visual arts. She did visual arts in, in art school. She made jewelry and she worked on ceramics. But currently she uh, is a photographer. She makes etchings. She also does mixed media. Her and I just recently had a show up in Boulder. Um, we, we travel together. We have exhibits together. We support each other when we're not exhibiting together. Um, we have a nice, wonderful, meaningful relationship, um, artistically and personally. Sylvia Montero is her name, and that is certainly a name to be looking for uh, in the Chicana art world. As she has made her mark as a Chicana artist in the Colorado area as well. Yes. And her work is quite, quite significant and beautiful. And she uses also some of the same iconography that you do. Um, sometimes. Um... She definitely, we, we obviously we share ideas, we share media, we share studio space. So we influence each other. Um, but also our work also departs. I mean, I, I think her work also deals probably a little more deeply with her indigenous roots. She's of, of Apache descent. Uh, her, her father was a migrant farm worker. Um, she grew up on the north side the whole time. I sort of grew up on the north side and then went to New Mexico and came back to Denver, lived on the east side. So, you know, our, we're informed a little bit differently. We're close in age, so we experience the, the Chicana movement very similar, but yet very different. Um, but yeah, we, we, we share ideas and we inform each other. Tony, that concludes our interview for today. I want to thank you profusely. It has been such a, a refreshing review of Chicano art and the development of Chicano art in, in Denver, Colorado, as well as to talk about your career. Uh, I encourage um, everyone to go to Tony's website. Uh, what is the website again? Or to just Google Tony Ortega, artist, and you'll be directed to his website. Yeah, my website is tonyortega.net. Got it. Thank you so much for your time, Tony. Really appreciate it. We will be talking to you soon. Thank you, George. I appreciate your support. Thank you for joining us on Healing with Dr. George, The Power of Chicano Latinx Art. Please continue to tune into our series as we explore the themes of self and community healing through Chicano Latinx Art. Also, don't forget to visit the website www.latinoarte.com in order to view the beautiful array of Chicano Latinx art that is available to add to your own collection. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human, 
Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy.